you know, my friend Greg is a wonderful novelist and he said, all the really great artists I know live with massive amounts of self-doubt and suspect that they might be a fraud. And he said, the, the, the thing is, I let that fear of my own fraudulence push me to disprove it to myself, to, to be great. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. We all have our own road to walk. Nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. There are no rules. Welcome to The Resistance, featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen. It's about That explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. There are a number of ways you might have crossed paths with Josh Radner at this point. As an actor, he's currently starring opposite Al Pacino in the Amazon series Hunters. Before that, there were starring roles on Rise or Mercy Street. But I'm going to guess the most likely intersection is when he portrayed Ted Mosby in the long-running and popular sitcom How I Met Your Mother. Of course, if you're a fan of the stage, Josh has certainly taken turns there. In the Tony-nominated play Disgraced, or a more recent run of Little Shop of Horrors at the Kennedy Center. If you're into film, Josh has been an actor there in Social Animals, Afternoon Delight, and several others, and he's also starred in his own movies that he wrote and directed. Films like Liberal Arts and Happy Thank You More Please, both, by the way, premiered at Sundance. And if all of that is not enough... Josh recently learned how to play guitar over the last few years and is plying his trade as a songwriter these days. He's friends with singer-songwriter Ben Lee, and together they released albums. And this year, Josh released his first ever solo EP, One More, Then I'll Let You Go. Through it all, Josh says the creative outlet really doesn't matter. It all distills down to one thing. It's storytelling. On this episode of The Resistance, we sat down with Josh for an engaging conversation about creativity and the many forms it's taken in his life. We also find that no matter the level of success or the experience down a certain road, every one of us, including Josh, wrestles with this tension of deep, unnerving fear and yet also cautious excitement that makes us want to do it in the first place. It's all about what could potentially happen with the work, for better or for worse. You're going to love this conversation with Josh, an artist who is both articulate and accessible. I left the conversation myself both inspired and challenged, and certainly that's the hope with which I'm offering it to you. Here's our conversation with storyteller Josh Radner. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with actor, director, writer, songwriter, Josh Josh Radner. Why don't you introduce yourself and how you normally different? Like, how do you say what you do? Oh, I just say actor, writer, director, songwriter. No, I don't. You know what? This is actually... um, You've, you've hit on something that I have difficulty with, which is 
saying what I do. The easiest thing for me to say I do is that I'm an actor in that I went to grad school for acting at NYU. I've been a professional actor for over 20 years. Most people know me as an actor, but I've also wrote and direct, uh, written and directed two films. I've directed music videos. I've written plays and prose. And now I'm a songwriter and I put out albums of original music. <laughs> and and I, I try to avoid any sort of pretentious sounding labels, but I, I think I'm a storyteller and, and I just tell stories in whatever form suits the story I want to tell. Sometimes it's a 90 minute movie and sometimes it's a three minute song. I love it. I love it. it, it it's all within the, the arts in many ways. I want to get to so many things. However, we begin each of our episodes with this quote from Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. And you mentioned earlier, you've already, you've actually read this book bef- before and other Pressfield mm-hmm. materials. Pressfield writes this. He says, most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. Having juggled all of these different you know, bowling pins. I don't know why I chose that analogy, by the way, but doing all the things that you've done and so much creation involved in your career here. What does that quote look like for you at this stage of mm. your career? Yeah. You know, I got a lot out of the war of art and and whatever his follow-up book was, but I also, I also wrestled with some of its tone and terminology. Um, I think that I, I know resistance. Certainly, I know resistance. I recognize it. I've had to stare it down and, and, and wrestle with it. But I also, you know, he's outlining uh, kind of the creative path in a fairly, I, I use this term kind of loosely, but a fairly masculine way. It, or, or I just read this, or I'm reading this Ursula Le Guin um, essay about hunters and gatherers and how we think of storytelling, the, the hero's adventure, as we only tell the story of the hunter. But most of the world has been supported by the gatherers. <laughs> you know, Kim, that, that <laughs> the gatherers are what are really are, are holding things down, but the story is somehow less dramatic or gripping to us. And I feel like the way mm. Stephen Pressfield articulates creativity, it's very much like you're stalking a prey and you have to, you know, kill yes, it, right? Yes. And I... On some level, I can get behind that. If it depends on my mood of the day, but then there's other ways to think of creativity. And I will directly answer your question about particular thing. But I just wanted to say that when I read Liz Gilbert's what, what's her book on creativity? Do you know that mm-hmm. Elizabeth Gilbert book? I uh, no, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, she has a terrific book on creativity, and uh, it, it will come to me. It's probably on my bookshelf. I could probably just scan and find it. She has a terrific book on creativity, which is much more of a loving pep talk Mm -hmm. from a fellow creative friend. It's not saying like, you know, you have to strangle your, (laughs) watch it die in your hands until you choke the life out of it. And then you drown the novel to the pulp, you know, she's more like, find your passion, find your curiosity, love what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm much more inclined to try to create from a joyful place rather than a, you know, angry, (laughs) angry place. Um, also, uh, a book that not a lot of people know that I give to everyone is called the, uh, the Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope. And it's about, um, it's a book about creative people who are, or it's about Dharma, essentially, you know, the Indian concept of uh, one's sacred duty. And he looks at um, the Bhagavad Gita at Arjuna talking to, um, uh, sorry, Krishna talking to Arjuna on the battlefield as a metaphor for, um, or a kind of um, 
roadmap for one living one's creative sacred life. And he looks at all these different mm. people, um, Mahatma Gandhi and um, Harriet Tubman, Beethoven, all these different people that were clearly in the pocket of their life, you know, <laughs> doing what they were put on earth to do. So I find those two books to be endlessly inspiring. But I also, I, you know, I, I recommend Stephen Pressfield's book. It's certainly uh, a kick in the pants, but it's a little more of a drill sergeant doing yes. it than a, than a dear friend in the corner at a party, yeah. you know? That said, uh, two lives, you know, I, um, I have felt the chasm between the life I'm living and the life I suspect I should be living. And um, sometimes that can be motivating and, and wonderful fuel. And sometimes it can be just another way to beat ourselves up. Mm. And I'm trying in my life to avoid self-punishment and, and um, flogging myself for how much I create, how much I don't create. I had a, I had a uh, therapist who specialized in highly creative personalities years ago. And he said, one of the features of highly creative personalities is starting more things than you can finish. Mm. And I was worried because I was starting all these projects, not finishing them. He said, start more projects. He said, the, 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 the projects that have some heat to them and, and need to be finished will get completed. But you almost have to have just this fertile environment where you're, where you're throwing a lot against the wall. And I've always taken that, you know, I have, I have so many half finished things in my computer and I get back to a lot of them. And sometimes, I needed six years to think about it. And then, and then suddenly I figure it out. My, <laughs> my brain is kind of doing some, some dot connecting and work while I'm living my life and doing other things. I have felt that there's this better, more uh, creative person, more, more, uh, there's, a, there's a deeper finisher, right? There's a closer in me mm. that I, uh, you know, if not for the phone and the news and procrastination and social media, like I could have created more, but then I, I look and I, I've created quite a bit, you know, and, and I'm trying to avoid, like I said, just punishing myself. So I, I both stand behind what Pressfield says, and I also have to amend it for myself out of some sort of compassion for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is often hard to find, right? I mean, it feels like we can so quickly go to that negative self-talk and, and, and buy into that more so than maybe giving ourselves some of that grace or compassion. I, th I think so. And I think, I think, um, being an artist in like, you know, free market capitalist America is presents a whole host of challenges and opportunities to, to pile on yourself and, and be quite cruel to yourself. I do think, you know, my friend Greg is a wonderful novelist and he said, all the really great artists I know live with massive amounts of self doubt and suspect that they might be a fraud. And he said, the, the, the thing is, I let that fear of my own fraudulence push me to disprove it to myself, to, to be great. Mm. And he said, the artists that I know who are pretty self-satisfied and think they're fantastic are generally, I don't like their art. <laughs> you know, you almost have to reconcile yourself with, with living in a state of near perpetual dissatisfaction. But if you, if you can stay just south of insane and stay, you know, in the pocket of working on stuff and revising stuff and, 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 uh, opening yourself up to feedback and all that good stuff. You can make something wonderful. You know, I don't, I don't know that. I, I think that there's no great artist that is exempt from those feelings of, of self-doubt and fraudulence. Mm. I, I, I want to leverage that into where you're at today because you first picked up the guitar 
just a handful of years ago, right? Uh, yeah, it would have been February 2017 is when I started playing the guitar in earnest. I mean, I knew a couple chord shapes, but I, sure. I couldn't um, I couldn't pick. Like, I didn't I didn't really know how to play guitar. But I played violin when I was a little kid, so I, I think some of the left hand stuff would, came a little easier to me. But the I really did have to learn, and I learned. I picked it up quite quickly. Mm. You, um, when you stepped out with Ben Lee and start writing songs and then music opens itself up at this, as this other creative outlet that you could pursue, you know, not just on a hobby level, but like I'm releasing things under my name and this is part of my, this is part of what I do. How much of that? Yeah. I I read earlier where you said, I read an interview where you said that like perfectionism has been sort of the ever present demon for you throughout but when you're starting something new like that that feels like a big victory to even step out in that way did it did it feel like that for you or how was facing that down in a new medium yeah i mean i'm always some sort of curious mix mix of like bravado and daring and also deep 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 you know 3 a.m fear <laughs> and and imposter syndrome right and for some reason, the, the, the courage part of me is just ever so slightly more pronounced than the fear part of me. Mm. That doesn't mean I don't entertain the fear and listen to it and let it freak me out. I do. But I find, well, first of all, starting, starting with Ben, who has been putting out records since he was 12 or 13. And we were, we were really good friends when we started writing songs for years. And then we just found we had this great songwriting vibe together. And I got years of a songwriting workshop, basically with this really, really talented songwriter. And he, he let me see that I had some real native talent as a songwriter. I knew that I had some lyric writing ability. I've always loved rhyme and rhythm and, and, and I have a lot of words and ideas, but I didn't know that I had so many melodies kicking around in me. And he was incredibly supportive of my musical, um, my nascent kind of dawning musical abilities. And he, he would often defer to me, even in musical matters. He, especially on the first record, he really let me set the tone of the content. And, um, but, but he, was, he, he, he was the one who was figuring out the music. I mean, we, we, we wrote the music together in that I would sing along, you know, what he was playing and, and, and the, a lot of melodies came from me. The second record, when I was playing guitar, Ben got much more into, it was much more of a, you know, tug of war in the greatest sense of like, we were both wrestling with the songs and trying to figure them out. Mm. But I ended up, you know, doing two albums with Ben. And I felt in a lot of ways that he provided me with some sort of cover against, I don't know that I would have had the courage to just step out with a guitar and say, Hey, I'm now writing songs. And these are my songs. And what happened was I, I had a really, really hard breakup. And I, I wrote a song just in despair one night. I just, this song poured out of me called Foolish Gold. And I played it for Ben. You know, it was, a, it was kind of an interesting song. I, I, I like it still, but I was, I was strumming like kind of um, flamenco. Like I didn't know what I was doing with my right hand. And <laughs> Ben really liked it. And a couple other people really liked it. And I started playing it at Radnor and Lee shows. And people were really affected by it. And then every show we did, I started playing a song and Ben would play a song just, you know, on our own. We, we would each take one on our own. So I was able to creep ever so slightly out into me and a guitar on stage singing an original song. And the other times I was just with Ben, you know, we were touring, we were, we were doing all that. 
and I, and I was picking up the guitar and, and holding down rhythm when, when he was doing more interesting stuff. So I really, I had no business playing professionally in front of people <laughs> at the rate that I did and how, how quickly I got up there and started doing it. But I've never been, I've turned all my hobbies into career. Uh, like that's, that's something I've just done. Like when I watch someone do something amazing and I'm inspired, I don't think, wow, I want to, I want to see them do that again all the time. I want to be like, I want to watch them do that again so I can figure out how to do it. Like I, mm. I really like to, to try the stuff and see if I can do it. Now I wouldn't take everything out for a spin. I'm not, you're not going to see me be a professional dancer anytime soon. <laughs> like, like there are some things that I just know are not my lane, but I, the music thing just opened up for me and songs started pouring out of me and I would play them for people and people were really moved by them and really related to them. And, and I started to feel like I'm at an age where I am less interested in saying other people's words. I want to, I, 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 I've been knocked, life has knocked me around enough that I actually have something to say and I'm still here and I've been up, I've been down, I've been all around. And, uh, it's just songwriting is proving to be a really wonderful palette and, and, um, for me to just express things. What was the initial impulse there to even make music with Ben in the first place? It was it was years of me and Ben saying we need to write a song together, and then not doing it, and then for some, for whatever reason, it was all right. Let's get together, you know, this Tuesday or whatever, however long ago it was, seven years ago, and let's write a song. And we wrote a song called Wider Spaces, which is on the first record, and it's um was inspired by this Herman Hess poem that I've always loved. And uh, then we got together the next week, and we wrote a song called Be Like the Being, which I think is the first song on the first record. And then by the third week, when we, when another song poured out of us, Ben said, we should make a record. Like he told me that, you know, he's, he's been paired together for a lot of co-writes over the years. And sometimes it's just deadly, you know, you're just staring at each other for four hours and nothing's <laughs> happening. And he said, sometimes you, you, you find people that you have a co-writing groove with. And he said, we just have it. We have the chemistry. Our voices sound really well together. Every time we get together, we write songs. And it was essentially, he would come over we get caffeinated. We talk about our day, our lives, what's going on with us. And out of that conversation, some sort of nugget or, or seed of an idea would emerge. And we would, we would write to that, you know? So it was really, the songs were born out of our friendship. And then once we started doing it and started playing for people, and I was just like, oh, this is the most fun creatively that I've had in a really long time. And, and I just wanted to keep doing it. So you had never written a song before, but yet somehow within your friendship, you felt like we should try writing a song together? Well, when I looked back at my life, you see these little moments, right? And in the fourth or fifth grade, my friend Jeremy and I, he was just like my best friend in the fourth or fifth grade. We wrote a bunch of songs together and we like sang them for our moms or something. So I remember... <laughs> very distinctly like doing this little Simon and Garfunkel act for our moms. <laughs> and then uh, I was at the Guthrie Theater in between my second and third year at NYU. I think this was 98, maybe, uh, summer of 98. And there was a guy in the, in the, you know, the troupe with me who was a, quite a good guitar player and songwriter. And um, we wrote about seven songs together that summer, but I wrote all the lyrics and he wrote all the music. So I didn't try my hand at any, anything musical, but I did write these lyrics for him and for us. And I was quite, I remember being proud of them and I remember really loving uh, collaborating on songs together. So there was, there were, you know, if you look back, there were these kind of breadcrumbs leading up to this. So it didn't come entirely out of the blue, but 
But largely speaking, it did. I mean, my, my idea was part of the imposter syndrome came from the idea that to be a professional musician, you had to start at seven or eight or yeah, 12 yeah. and, you know, have the band in your parents' garage and do all that. And, and I just thought if you hadn't done it by the time you were 40, forget it. <laughs> but I just took it on and I've, I've disproved that to myself. Now, there is still a world that I need to learn on the guitar or could learn on the guitar. The, the merciful thing is if you learn two or three chords pretty well on the guitar, you can write thousands of songs. It's <laughs> true. Your newcomerness, your beginnerness is not necessarily an impediment to you writing great songs right out of the gate. And that's something that I just loved about the guitar right away. Hmm. Was there, I'm trying to think how to frame this. Was there a safety or was there almost a resistance there? when you're shifting from one medium to another, is there a safety in going, Hey, if this doesn't work, well, I have all this other, (laughs) you know, like I have these other outlets I can lean on. So I'm not dependent on this, but at the same time, is that also sort of a, well, if I'm known for these other things, how can I try to say I'm also that? I think it was more the latter because I, I never, I never like to think in terms of fallback. Like I now just think of it as like, I'm just doing all these things. I'm doing all these things. And when I'm working on one, that's what I'm working on. And then I'll go, I'll turn my attention to the other thing. So um, there, there's always an embarrassment of asking people to kind of pivot with you or move with you into some other thing. And I also think people are really confused when you do something, when you're known very publicly for doing something else and you then are doing this other thing. You know, I'm still, I'm on a TV show right now called Hunters that we're about to start our second season of, which is great fun. I love doing it. It's, it's, it's a wild show on Amazon. Mm -hmm. But you know, if I post too much about music on my Instagram, people, people say like, you go back, you have, why'd you stop acting? (laughs) I never stopped acting. (laughs) Like I, I've been acting constantly since, since how I met your mother ended. I'm just doing these other things too. (laughs) And I think people get confused at a, um, a creative life that has more, uh, you know, offshoots to it. So I try not to let that bother me that much. I mean, I, I, it's one thing I do wrestle with is that I was on this incredibly popular kind of global hit show. And so a lot of people know me from that. And yet what I'm drawn to and what I make is a much more kind of indie stuff, including my movies, which were both at Sundance and, and released independently. My music is, you know, obviously not with a major label. So I've, I've, I've had these experiences of working with like multinational corporations as an actor. And then as a, as a writer, director, playwright, songwriter, I have these much more organic indie experiences, all of which I love. Now, that's not to say I would love for a huge label to swoop in and make my songs play on every you know radio station. Like I, I wouldn't turn that down. I mean, with caveats, I don't want to, I don't want to someone to change what I'm doing, but at the same time, I think being on how I met your mother for so long, I had, I had a kind of success that I felt like, okay, that happened, but now what do I really want to make? And I used, uh, I, I tried to use the freedom that I was given mm-hmm. by, by deciding to just be an artist and be a creative person. And it's, you know, it's working out pretty nicely. I can still, 
get in my head about like, oh, do I need to be on another hit TV show? I don't want to be the guy, like whatever happened to so-and-so. And it's not, I'm not making music because I can't get acting work. <laughs> like I'm still getting acting work. Yeah. I just, I just really am doing, I'm trying to follow what I love and go where it's warm, you know? Mm. It, it, let me ask that further. Is that a hundred percent compass of just following the energy where it's at? Or is there a percentage of that that is, I'll ask it this way. I'm glad that you brought that up about how I met your mother and the, and the success there and, and how that can define someone in the same way that maybe like a first album can define a band. And then after that, the band will purposefully react against their previous work in, right. in order to showcase a, a breadth of, or scope. They want that appreciated as well. Yeah. And you just said, you know, I'm doing, I'm, I'm making music not to like kick against something. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in these other things. And so I guess I wonder, is that a hundred percent interest in these things or is there sort of a both and where there's also a part of you trying to kick against in the same way? Uh, I think I would have to have more access to my subconscious, <laughs> you know, to answer that fully. Sure, sure. You know, I, I, I've always been of the opinion, like I'm not, as an actor, I pass on more things that I accept only because I'm not the kind of actor that is interested in elevating C minus material. I, I'm not good, you know, yeah. hey, Al Pacino's on Hunters with us. And he told me this thing one time that he said for a, for a number of years, he was really interested in taking, taking scripts that were like not quite good and seeing if he could make them good. Oh, wow. That is not interesting to me. I mean, got, hats off to him. Like I, I think that's a really <laughs> great fun project if that's what you're into. But I have to believe in the material, especially as an actor, if I'm going to do it. So I just wanted, I just wanted stuff that made me feel alive and making my own stuff as, as hard as it can be. It's, there's just a kick to it because you feel, you know, as an actor, it's like I'm playing in an orchestra, right? And someone else is conducting and someone else wrote the score. But I think I, I, I enjoy being the conductor. I enjoy being the composer as well. So I just had to let myself follow that. You know, I, I'm, I'm really of the opinion, especially as an actor, like if I just keep doing good material and doing my best at it, some of it's going to hit, mm -hmm. you know, some of it's not going to hit. Like I've, I've done three television series since uh, How I Met Your Mother and I love them all. And I've thought I've been quite good on all of them. And, um, you know, they've had varying degrees of success and runs. But at the same time, I don't consider How I Met Your Mother to be more of an artistic triumph because it ran for nine years than I do like Mercy Street, the Civil War show I did for PBS or Rise, this show I did for NBC. Like, I try not to judge what I'm doing by the popular reception of it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a wise metric. I think that that stuff is out of my hands. As Krishna says to Arjuna on the battlefield, you do the work and the fruits of the labor are out of your hands. They don't belong to you. Mm -hmm. Is that is that easier for you to separate yourself from at this point in your career than it was, say, five, ten years ago? I think so. I mean, I I still can get caught up in would someone just give me an uh, award already? Like like, you know, the, the, the kind of ego steps in and says, like, you've gotta you've gotta be relevant, you gotta get a hit, you gotta keep going. And that's just a consequence of being in show business, right? Sure. 
But at the same time, if I can really calm myself down and know that writing a song one day is as good as it gets and the making of stuff and the sharing of stuff, like I don't like promoting stuff. It embarrasses me to have to be self-promotional all the time, but I've enjoyed unrolling this record. I've enjoyed the slow, you know, single every week or two and hearing feedback from people, you know, honestly surprising people. There's a lot of actors that, that, that are musicians and want to be musicians. And I think it's sometimes laughed at or not really respected. And I'm just trying to do it in a way that feels in line with my integrity and, and of a piece with the rest of my career, even though it's a bit of a curveball. If you watch and, and absorb my movies and then listen to my music, I think you can recognize a common voice in it. And the Muse Letters too, which we were talking about earlier, just a, yeah. a thoughtful, searching, sincere, but hopefully not self-serious voice that's trying to figure out how to be the best version of myself and live with some grace and dignity. <laughs> you mentioned the making and sharing. I love the way that you just said that, the, the making and sharing of something. And, and it, it, it occurred to me when you said that, that maybe music would allow for sharing at maybe a more optimum level than, than acting, directing, or being in theater maybe because it's so instant or maybe not. I, I guess I just wonder how you have found the musical side of that formula hitting you. I would have to say my greatest love is music in terms of the art form that I feel like is the most, most instantaneously affects and alters me is music. Yeah. If given the choice kind of of what I want to consume, I would almost always choose music over a TV show or a movie, even though I, I have great love for those things. There's something about music, how quickly, you know, like a three minute song can absolutely alter you cellularly. And I find it's so mysterious. I, I, I've heard it said that music is the only non-representational art form, like every other art form, art, sculpture, um, dance, theater, like they're all riffing off the material world. And music is like, where does it even come from? It's like fire. Like it's like <laughs> mysterious element that seems to emerge from some transcendent space. So because of that, I think that music is almost like at its essence, a very spiritual thing. And, and most um, spiritual communities have some sort of musical component to them, right? Yeah. So if I have to throw my lot in with anything as a fan it would be music, you know, like going to a cloud cult show, which we, we talked about our shared favorite band, you know, that's a spiritual experience. I mean, that feels like, I'm like, this is what, this is what a religious service should feel like, you know? <laughs> Very much and, so. Um, and I feel like they're just asking the most, Craig Minowa is like howling into the universe, asking the biggest questions you could possibly ask. And uh, I just find it really thrilling and learning that I could do that myself was just this watershed moment for me. I was like, I'm still going to listen to cloud cult, but I'm, I'm also <laughs> going to try to make my own stuff and then, you know, hopefully send it to Craig and see what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> stepping out into music, then stepping out from under a banner where you shared, you know, the marquee with Ben Lee. Does that, how vulnerable does that feel? Pretty vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I did a, a show at, uh, a live stream at Hotel Cafe last Thursday night, the night before the EP came out. And, uh, the sound guy, uh, was named Kevin and he, he was mixing me that night 
and he said, um, yeah, I've, I've, I mixed you in some of your early appearances here. And he said, you've gotten a lot better. And, and that's always like a strange thing to hear because <laughs> you think, right. how bad was I <laughs> when I was up here earlier? <laughs> now, what he's saying is great because of course I want to be improving. I want to feel that I've got this more and that I'm, but at the same time, I think that I was up on that stage slightly maybe a little earlier that you know the audience everyone was so supportive and friends would invite me to play on these evening those musical evenings and i got really i fell in with the songwriting community out in la that's been really nourishing and yet there there is a part of me that that courageous part of me that throws myself up there maybe before i'm fully cooked hmm. but i i like learning on the job i learned how to be a film director by directing films not going to film school and the first three days of directing my first film, Happy Thank You More, Please, I was underwater. Like, I did not know what I was doing, what the terms were. I had some sense of how to tell the story, but it wasn't until the fourth day that I was like, oh, I get this. There's something about really plunging yourself into the deep end and then learning how to swim because otherwise you will drown. Hmm. I'm okay learning that way. That doesn't mean I'm not terrified, but I feel that it's the right moment for me, I've gotten enough feedback on my songs. I started a YouTube channel at the start of quarantine or a little before. I've posted a lot of original songs. I've gotten enough feedback that I'm onto something and people are affected by this stuff to give me some wind at my sails to keep going. And that's all I need is just a little nudge or a wink from people like, we get it, we see you, we hear this, you know, more please. And uh, so, yeah, it, it was terrifying, but it was also time to do that. Ben's back in Australia. We never got to tour our second record, Golden State, which I'm really proud of that collection of songs. So hopefully we can hit the road with those. But I'd also, you know, I do consider myself a musician now at long last. And uh, so I'm excited to also just be up there with the guitar and share these songs. You've been listening to The Resistance. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And for more information and further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Engineering, production, and additional music by Jake Kirkpatrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening.